When it comes to who we are as individuals, how much is determined by genetics and how much by environment? Scientists and researchers have been trying to figure this out for decades. When the human spirit is involved, there's always a lot of room for interpretation. In the 1960s, a fringe science cell of deep red ops was trying their own dark and sinister take on this research. They combined the genetic material from two incarcerated murderers. One was a notorious cult leader and sadist who was sitting on death row in Pennsylvania. He was also an emissary with a foul demonic parasite living inside of him. The other was a spree killer from the New York barrio, a woman afflicted by what can only be described as a generational curse. These two subjects had been vetted by the DRO very carefully. In 1968, their biological material was used to breed what the DRO called the first wave. Six bouncing baby boys. This was the pet project of a shadow agent known as Jonestown. Having all boys wasn't a fluke, of course. It had been determined as being advantageous to the long-term program. They wanted the first wave to be as similar as possible when they came out of the starting gate. And then, each of the babies were placed into homes across the country in varying degrees of safety, with varying degrees of resources. Some were intentionally placed into dangerous situations, just to see how it would shape them. None were aware of their origin. They were left to grow and develop naturally as the Department of Restricted Operations studied them from afar. As the years passed, these boys all adapted very differently. Some had unusual abilities or unsavory appetites, but for the most part, they were normal kids. More years passed, and Jonestown became bored with it. More to the point, he had become fascinated by the tales of cannibal mutants living under the Nevada desert. And with little fanfare, the first wave project was shut down, before there was even a chance for a second wave to be born. Aside from one of the test subjects, None of the boys from the first wave ever knew about their parentage. They didn't know about each other. And they had no idea of the generational curse that hovered over them like an angry storm cloud. In 1985, one of them found out. Whiskey in the Kitchen and 
telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem. Killers, cannibals, and cults. Fearful fiction and furious fact. Tall tales and terrifying truths. This is A Scary Home Companion. All right, said the muscle head with the magnificent mullet. I need all three of you monkeys to spot me. Chop, chop, boys. Set two. He laid back on the bench, muscles gleaming, undershirt soaked through, translucent, as the three high school kids crowded around him. Ape Drape never actually needed anyone to spot him, but better safe than sorry. Ape Drape had graduated three years ago, but was the type of guy who liked the adoration he got from high school kids. His freestanding garage turned weight room was the frequent hangout spot after school, and especially on Friday nights. After two reps of five, Ape sat up, feeling pumped and looking vascular. He went to the full-length mirror on the wall, right next to the poster of Greg Luganus. The other boys returned to their normal spots. Jace sat on the broken-down love seat in the corner, fiddling with his Rubik's Cube. He'd been working it for months and was still no closer to resolving it. That didn't matter because it really helped him think. Jace was the funny fat guy, but he was also the brains of the outfit. Jace came up with all the best ideas for killer pranks. Their finest moments as a crew had all been Jace's ideas. Rudy stood near the open garage door. He had his earphones on, listening to his Walkman and keeping watch over the street. Rudy had always been a squirrely kind of guy, very afraid of bullies, but the last few months had seen him relax, become more confident, really come into his own. Maybe that had something to do with his new girlfriend. And finally, there was Beezer, who was at his post, sitting on Ape Drape's riding lawnmower. Ape mowed lawns for a living, but moved this broken-down mower inside instead of getting another couch. Beezer heaved the unfortunate haircut and the Adam's apple just a little bit too big, liked to sit on the seat of the mower and use the hood to do his homework, like a desk. Maybe he won't come by today, Beezer said hopefully. Oh, he's coming all right, Ape Drape answered. The man knows quality work, Jace said with pride, tossing the Rubik's Cube onto the couch. Besides, he can't prove anything. Rudy pulled off his headphones. Here he comes. Rudy sat down on the other end of the love seat. Ape popped a squat on the end of the bench and started firing off some arm curls. Beezer just held tight. The police cruiser pulled up close, and the sheriff's deputy, Tom Kendo, strolled into the garage. He had his thumbs hooked into his belt. How you boys doing today? 
he said casually. He stopped by often and knew all four of them quite well. Good, sir, the three of them mumbled, as eight just kept pumping iron. You might consider putting down them weights and picking up a Bible, Kendo said pointedly. Eight kept pumping. You here for a reason, deputy? I am, in fact. You all must know why I'm here. No, sir, the three of them mumbled. I'm here about that statue of President Eisenhower in the downtown square. The new one the governor dedicated, what, six months ago? Seems that someone dressed it up with women's undergarments, put makeup on it, glued some kind of rubber phallus onto the crotch. Real low-class business, you ask me. But you all wouldn't know anything about that, now would you? No, sir. I'm happy to hear that. Because this ain't no prank. Not this time, boys. Whatever glue you used on that dildo did permanent damage to the statue. Gonna cost five, six grand to get it fixed. That's not a misdemeanor, boys. That's real trouble. So I'm very relieved that it wasn't you because I would hate to take you to jail. Really, I would. And with that, he left. The air pressure in the garage went back to normal, and everyone started to breathe again. Ape dropped his hand weight and picked up the handle of Jim Beam he always kept close by. I can't believe he's your dad, said Jace. Yeah, Ape sighed. He can't believe I'm his son. Is he still hung up on the whole gay thing? What do you think, dingus? Beezer asked, You think he's bluffing about the property damage? Doubtful, Rudy said. We wanted Eisenhower to have a fat schlong permanently. They probably had to chisel off the whole crotchal area. Now he has less of a dick than ever. Jace laughed. But you know what it does? Give me an idea. Where can we get our hands on some lube? I mean, like a 50-gallon drum of lube. I like where this is going, said Ape, as the drinks finally started to loosen him up. Around this time, Beezer checked his swatch and realized he was late for getting home. He got high fives and down lows from the whole gang before sprinting away with his backpack. Okay, he's gone. We can talk now, Rudy said, stepping to the middle of the room. Jace, let's backburner your next prank for just now. I think we all know what our next project needs to be. They nodded in agreement. I didn't see it until I lost mine with Lola, the foreign exchange student. Jace here had his eyes opened when we road tripped to that private girl's school. And of course, Ape, you lost your virginity as a sophomore, right? With the guy who used to teach P.E.? 
Not to be too dramatic about it, but we're men now. Beezer's still a boy, and we need to help him. We all love Bees. He just needs to lose his virginity so we can really join the club. The question is, how do we do it? We could pay a lady, Jace offered. Nah, Ape shook his head. Bees would never go for that. He's a special little dude, delicate-like. And with that mom of his, he's sort of submissive, you know, timid. We need to do this right. We need to give him the real deal. I don't know, man, Jace shook his head. He still hasn't lived down the pants-pissing incident from freshman year. We're going to have to go outside the school. There is one girl he likes that he actually likes-likes. Maybe we should talk to her and see if she'll help us out. Who is it? Amber Jeffries. The other two burst out laughing. Just the mere thought of the head cheerleader popping Beezer's cherry. You talk about setting the bar too high. But you know what? There is a girl who likes him. That mousy girl, Max, with the glasses, always wears her hair up. Maxine, yeah. Well, there's a fixer-upper for you. I think she would be down for it. But would bees? She's been trying to throw it at him for months. Eh, Beezer's just nervous. Besides, I think Maxine could be a knockout if we gave her a little makeover. Ape, you think you can help with that? And why would a macho gay slab of masculinity like this know anything about makeovers? Maybe just have her lose the glasses, let her hair down, see what happens. They started to pass the bottle of Jim Beam and planned Operation Get Beezer Laid until the sun went down. party was set for Friday night, in the garage. To make more room, Ape Drape took the mower out back and pushed his weight bench into the corner. He even hung up some tiki lights for ambience. It was a pretty big affair, considering the limited square footage they had, and the gang spent all week prepping for it. They made sure the right people were involved, and that the wrong people never knew about it. Rudy went to Maxine to delicately explain in a roundabout way what they were aiming for. Max was hesitant about the punching the V-card angle, so Rudy made an adjustment and pitched it as a date. 
He sold Max on the idea of this being the night to make Beezer see how great she really was. It did entail a moderate makeover, and Rudy provided nail polish, lipstick, and eyeshadow for her. Meanwhile, Ape Grape and Jace had to prep Beezer for the event. It would have been a dick move to just spring it on him or to try and manipulate things any more than they already were, so the three of them had a sit-down. Dude, it is not something to worry about. Something to be stoked about, Ape said. I'll admit that I was nervous my first time, said Jace. But now, looking back, it seems dumb that I was nervous. It's totally awesome, man. You feel so different afterward, like a real man. But what if I'm no good at it? Beezer asked. Oh, you won't be. How the hell can you be good at it the first time? Ape said. You weren't good at riding a bike the first time, but you have to get on a bike to learn how to ride a bike. I guess so. Dude, all girls know this. Don't stress about it, said Jace. Just let things happen. And if you and Maxine are both into it, and I think you will be, then just go for it. You'll feel like a whole new person afterward. I promise. What if she says no? Beezer asked. Well, then it's no, Ape shrugged. And it's no big deal. We'll just try again next week, next Friday's party with someone else. Jace added, Dude, we're not trying to pressure you. I mean, <laughs> maybe a little, but not in a bad way. In the best possible way. Trust us. Beezer did trust them. And the thought of being with a girl, even Maxine, made him tingle in all the best ways. Bees was scared, but he saw how hard his friends were trying to help him overcome that fear. And he loved girls. He was just also terrified by them. Didn't know why. He just was. In a surprisingly candid moment, Ape told him, that's just fear of the unknown, man. And this isn't something that is supposed to be unknown, because you're going to love it. And if you don't love it with a girl, then come and talk to me. You've got other options. They ended up having two more very similar pep talks on the day of the party. By the time the sun went down, the music went up, and the pony keg of old Milwaukee got tapped, Beezer was looking sharp and feeling only mildly trepidatious. He made his mom skip the weekly buzz cut, and he wore a shirt with a collar on it. Ape Drape poured shots for the four of them as the first people started to arrive. Two beers later, B 
bees was starting to feel nice and loosey-goosey. And then he saw something that made him stop short. Maxine, in a skirt and sandals, hair flowing across her shoulders like a, a picturesque blonde river, red lips pursed, glass-free eyes rimmed with smoky blue. Wow. Whatever nerves he had been feeling were in the wind. Bees filled up his cup, and then a second one, and walked over to meet Maxine. Ape, Rudy, and Jace watched from afar, without appearing to watch. Come on, bees. They whispered their cheers for him as he handed Maxine the drink. And then he took a casual step back, and he must have told a joke because she laughed and covered her mouth with the red cup. That's a good start. They all clinked beer mugs and drank deep. At this point, they had done all they could do. It was time to let nature take its course. So they started to relax and enjoy the party. Beezer and Maxine basically talked to each other every day, but never like this. The mousy girl was gone, and a certified babe had taken her place. This gave Beezer high levels of both comfort and arousal, and gave him no time to overthink things. And not that he rushed anything. He let the beer do its work on the both of them until they were nice and relaxed. And then they were talking close, his hand on her shoulder, her index finger pulling on one of his belt loops. Is this when I kiss her? He thought, and looked around to his friends for guidance. They were all otherwise occupied. Jace throwing darts with some pals, Rudy making out with his girlfriend, Ape Drape peacocking around his weight bench. Max touched his chin. What are you looking for? He turned and leaned into it. This. And he kissed her. The kiss got deep, fast, and she gently pushed him back. Not here. He grabbed her hand. Okay, that's okay. I know a private place. Come with me. She bit her lip and nodded. And then they wove through the partygoers out of the garage and into Ape's small rental house. He had given Beezer permission to use the bedroom. And when they entered, he saw that Ape had lit a scented candle and had put clean sheets on the bed. Aw, that big lug. Clothes came off. Not all of them, but at least half. It was awkward and fumbling. It was sweet, with lots of kissing. It was short, because of course it was. But above all else... It was nice. 
When Beezer popped, he gasped and arched his back. No amount of masturbation had prepared him for the intense pleasure of this orgasm. Maxine caressed his back and whispered, That seemed huge. Yeah, 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 it was. Holy shit, it was. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Maxine. I got a way that you can thank me, bees. She shifted, nuzzling him. You think you can go again? Sure, I, I think, but I don't think I want you to call me that anymore. I always hated that nickname, Beezer. I think I'm done with it. He moved back just a little so that he could look her up and down. Her breasts were still covered. Her dress hiked up to her waist. He took off his shirt and his socks and then pulled her dress over her head and tossed it aside. His friends had been right. He already felt different. And when he looked at her naked body before him, he felt hungry. And then he saw it streak of crimson on her thigh, a spatter of scarlet on the sheet. And his heart started to thump in his chest. He became aroused at the sight of it and the coppery smell of it. Yeah, Max, I think I can go again. And he climbed on top of her. Oh, Nick, you stud and she pulled him into her. surprised the boys that night by not coming out for a second round of high fives and down lows. Instead, he chose to sneak away as soon as Maxine had left. He took the bloodied sheets with him, which Ape Drape hoped meant he was going to wash them. Nobody heard from bees the next day. Not until nigh on midnight, when he showed up at Maxine's bedroom window. She opened it, but not enough for him to crawl inside. Yet. What are you doing here? My daddy's in the next room. I'll be quiet, I promise. Not tonight, B. Not tonight, Nick. My bed squeaks a lot. Then come on out here with me. I'm still a little sore downstairs, okay? That was my first time, and it was three times, which is a lot, so... Please? He reached in and grabbed her hand. Gentle at first, but it felt... off. Please. 
I said, no, I'm flattered, but I can't call you tomorrow. He pushed open the window a few more inches. Max, I need you. I really need you. Are you still bloody down there? What? No. Gross. She pushed his hand away, and he grabbed her wrist. I said, please. I'm getting tired of asking nice. What is wrong with you, Nicholas Braithwaite? He pulled at her again. So she used the other hand to push the window close. It thumped his wrist a bit, so he pulled out. The hall light turned on, spilling yellow under her bedroom door. Maxie, are you okay in there? Her sleepy dad grumbled. Yeah, Daddy. Then mouth whispering, go, go, go. Finally, he was gone. But Maxine was unsettled. The next morning, she called mutual friend Rudy to tell him about it. Lest any of us forget, the most effective means of communication in high school is going through mutual friends. Rudy called B's, but didn't get an answer. Then he called Jace. Again, no answer. Ape was still very buzzed from the night before, but said he hadn't heard from anyone else. In the afternoon, Rudy walked over to Nick's house to see if anyone was home. He saw Jace's bike laying just outside. Nobody answered at first, but Rudy thought he heard someone moving around inside, so he rang the bell a few times. At long last, Beezer opened the door. He was wiping his hands on a pink towel. Hey, Rudy, what's up? Can we talk for a second, Bees? Holy shit, is that blood? Rudy noticed that it wasn't a pink towel, but a white one. Stained sinister. Did you cut your hand? Oh, no, nothing like that. Yeah, we can talk. Come on in. Once the door was shut behind them, he added, By the way, I think I'm done with Beezer. Oh, uh, sure. Damn, Maxine must have been hot to trot. Look at you. Yeah, look at me. So... What did you want to talk about, Rudy? You look kind of serious. Not really. I got a call from Max, and... I don't know, it was weird, Bees. I mean, Nick. Nick. You sort of creeped Maxine out. Nick shrugged. You know girls, Rudy. They freak out. I just went over there sniffing for a piece, and then I left empty-handed. That's it. I'll call her, though, and smooth it all over. Cool. Cool. So you didn't try to climb in her window? Rudy reached over and pulled up Nick's shirt sleeve. He saw a square bruise where the window had hit it. He also saw 
scratches from fingernails, fresh and red and raised. Damn, Nick, that looks kind of messed up. I guarantee you Max doesn't have any of these marks on her. I never touched her. I promise, okay? Yeah, sure. Sure, man, okay. I know I probably sound stupid because what she said, that didn't sound like you at all, man. That didn't sound like bees. I'm not Beezer. I'm Nick now. There was a prolonged, awkward silence. The phone rang and his mother's voice answered on the machine. Where is your mom anyway? asked Rudy. She's in her room. Can't come out right now. Is she sick? No. She and I had a little... Mm, disagreement. I thought it was time for me to become the man of the house, and the man of the house needs to be treated a certain way. You know what I mean? Rudy got a queasy, deep-down feeling because... He did know what Nick meant. Um, that's your mom, dude. I'm adopted, so not really. Man, I don't even... Is Jace here? Sure, he's in the bathroom. Why are you being so weird, Nick? I'm a new man now. You know what it's like. I don't know what this is like. Jace! Miss Braithwaite? Jace! He pushed past scrawny Nick with the unfortunate haircut and walked down the hallway. The door to the master bedroom was open, and he saw a figure laying on the bed. And then he walked past the bathroom and saw Jace laying in the tub ripped open from stem to stern. It had been his blood that Nick was wiping off his hands. The gore and the red and the ruptured bowels were hot and fresh and dizzying in their intensity. Nick was suddenly behind him, pushing Rudy into the doorframe and sliding a kitchen knife between two of his ribs right through the meat puncturing the lung he shoved Rudy down throwing him across the still warm corpse of Jace and shut the door behind him I've been experimenting Rudy how would you feel about a three way The sun was riding low, dusty orange and golden brown. Ape Drape was on the bench, pumping solo, music blaring as the dying rays of the sun danced off the beads of sweat on his chiseled chest. Yeah, baby, he said at ten, and put it back in the rack. When he sat up, he saw a beezer leaning against the riding mower. There you fucking are. I can't find anyone today. Ape went to the pony, 
which was on its last keg legs and poured an old mill. So give me the nitty-gritty, bees. You and Max. It went good, right? You bring my sheets back? Not yet. I love your mullet. What did you do to it? Borrowed my sister's crimper. Used a shit ton of hairspray. Looks good, right? So, you and Max. Come on. Give me the details. Beer empty, thirst quenched. Ape laid back down on the bench. Come give me a spot, bees. Call me Nick. All right, my man. You ain't no boy anymore, are you? Nick took his position, looking down on his friend as he started his next rep. So where's Rudy? He told me something about Max, like... Shit, I don't remember. You two are good, though, yeah? I guess. I did go over to see her last night. She was all uptight, didn't want me to come in. I was cool with it, though. I mean, I was gonna slide in there and shove her panties in her mouth and rape the shit out of her, but her dad was there, so... Ape paused. What the fuck did you say? Remember when you said I could explore my options? Nick asked. Then he stabbed Ape Drape in the crook of his elbow with a steak knife. His arm collapsed and the weight bar fell across his neck, snapping his collarbone like a dry twig. Ape still had one free hand, which he slid as close to his neck as he could to keep the bar from choking him unconscious. Nick was standing still, looking down, smiling. Bees! What the fuck? Help me! Nick pushed down on the bar. Beezer is gone, Thomas. He's dead, and anyone who knew him soon will be. You know, I never understood the gay thing before, but now I kind of do, boy or girl. It doesn't matter, does it? It all feels good, especially when they fight back. The fear and the blood. I like your blood, Thomas. It's sexy. Gasping for breath, using every ounce of strength he had to keep from passing out, Ape pushed against the bar. He drank deep of oxygen and said, Fuck you, Beezer. Nick raised the knife. Not to kill, because he wanted to have his way with Ape Drape before he died. And then, possibly, again after. Just for a compare and contrast. But flashing reds and blues filled the garage as a sheriff's cruiser raced up the drive. For a heartbeat, Nick thought about it. But he knew his life was too precious. He had too much to live for now. 
So he dropped the knife, and he ran out the back door. As Sheriff's Deputy Tom Kendo ran to his son's side and pulled the weight off of his neck. Stay with me, Tommy, the cop said, kissing his son on the forehead and then calling for an ambulance. He never even thought about chasing after Nick, who was never seen in that town again. The bodies were all found, and a narrative was generally accepted. So people knew what happened, but could never understand why it happened. With the possible exception of Maxine, Max had no facts or family history. And she knew nothing more about Nick's generational curse than anyone else did. But soon after he vanished, she would learn that she was pregnant. On some level, in her dreams, she knew that this was the cause. Nick never consciously knew that he had conceived a child, and yet. As soon as he had done so, the moment it happened, his mind and his body changed overnight. There had to be a connection. Nick Braithwaite was born as part of the first wave in 1968, but it was in 1985 that a monster was born. One that would carve a path of pain and death for decades to come. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. If this ending seemed a little abrupt, that's because Nick Braithwaite has been an active part of this show for years. He's one of the most vile and reprehensible villains that we have, and when he meets his real father, he gets a lot worse. By the way, I'd like to thank the surprisingly sinister lyrics of Harvey Danger for inspiring this episode. Flagpole Sitter is a really catchy tune, but man, is it dark! You can find a scary home companion on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. Interact with the show, join the conversation. Better yet, join the Patreon. You get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes info, and little bonuses like the game or the free signed copy of my book, Bedtime Stories for Weird Kids, which is also available. On Amazon, by the way, support indie horror. Support a scary home companion on Patreon. The music for this episode, every last little bit of it, came from one artist, Beat Mechanic, with the songs "Warning," "Nuthouse," "Savage," "Circles," "Confetti," "Insomnia," and "Just a Taste." All of this music, and a great deal more from Beat Mechanic, 
is available on freemusicarchive.com.